Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, empowerment, liberation, and we are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And we are here to help you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around us, around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Uh, we are on Facebook Live. Uh, we are on blogtalkradio.com. We are on YouTube live streaming. So any of those venues, you can come in and uh, share with us. There's chat uh, spaces available on both of those on YouTube and Facebook. So welcome to you. Welcome to you. Welcome to you. Also, you can follow us on all our social media. We are on Twitter at uh, Zero Radio is the handle for the show. Dr. Lorenzo uh, Lorenzo Tino is the handle for me on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, Zero Network on Facebook. Dr. Lorenzo Neal uh, page. Go there, like the page. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button and subscribe, and you can see what we do. We're, we're trying to do as best as we can. You know, moving forward with this do <laughs> what we're doing. We're doing what we do as best we can to do what we can do. So. We invite you to join us in that. Again, thank you all for joining us. Um, got an interesting topic. It is the Passion Week. It is the week of the Christ, uh, the week that Christ uh, is crucified, buried, ultimately leads to his resurrection. And um, I know a lot of churches are observing this Holy Week or Week of the Passion, or however you want to call it. Uh, the biggest culmination of this week is the Good Friday, and a lot of service, a lot of churches uh, having Good Friday service. In the Black Church tradition, you have Good Friday service, and it's usually the seven last sayings of Christ on the cross. And um, I will be participating in a Good Friday seven last words, seven last sayings uh, service uh, at Poplar Hill AME Church in Fayette, Mississippi. So if you're in the Natchez, Jackson, Poplar Hill, Fed, Mississippi area come out. That'll be this Friday at uh, 10 a.m. Poplar Hill and many other churches. Also, 
uh, observing this Passion Week with revivals, uh, with Holy Service, Holy Week services, Monday, Thursday services, which is before Good, Thur- Good Friday. And, of course, everybody's going to be observing uh, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, uh, on this coming Sunday. And, and I, as last week on the show, we talked about Kanye West and the Sunday service that he's been doing since January and that on this coming Sunday, he's going to headline Coachella uh, by doing a a sunrise Easter service. <laughs> so there'll be, you know, even the unchurched will be in ch- in church. On, on <laughs> that's funny. That, well, it's not funny, but you know, it's, it's an interesting par- paradigm as to how people are going to be observing it. It, it is non-religious for them. It's just Uh, A music festival where Kanye West, with his eccentric self, is going to have his Sunday service doing what other churches would be observing as resurrection morning service, sunrise service. It's just, ah, love the world we live in. But, um, so, and, you know, I'm not even going to, I I have always thought about uh, the controversy, you know, why we call it Easter and the other uh, associations with that term Easter. I'm, I'm just not going to get into that later because uh, there are a lot of arguments, <laughs> theological and non-theological, that can be made on that. But anyway, however you observe it, uh, Christian, you will be observing it. However you observe it, but that's not why. I'm, that's not the topic of the show today. I uh, just thought I'd do a nice little lead-in. Thank you all for joining. I appreciate it so much. Again, hit the like button, share this broadcast with your friends. Um, and everything. Also, while I'm while I'm early in the show, again, want to give put a plug in for my uh, latest book called Reflections from the Pastor Study, and it's available on Amazon. It's available as Kindle book for five ninety nine, as well as paperback for fifteen dollars. So you can go to Amazon, type in uh, Reflections from the Pastor Study, or type in Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Have you do the search, and you should find it. You can also go to my website, LorenzoTNeal.com. And go to um, the page where it says, um, I don't know, I, I think books or whatever. But you can order it from there also. Um, and it's, the book is simply just words that we wrote in our uh, bulletin, weekly bulletin, that were used, you know, when you were kind of just wasting time or you were bored in the service and you just kind of skimmed through the program. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. You weren't always engaged in the service, so you read through the bulletin. So those were my uh, my words uh, from the weekly bulletin, and I hope that it blesses you. So please do me kind by going and purchase that book. It's available now, and um, we're going to have a, an official release party uh, date uh, coming up, and where you'll be able to purchase. And um, I'm also for a limited time. Uh, we'll be offering this book along with my my book, A Breach in the Family. We'll be offering both of those books for uh, $25, and that's just limited time. Uh, we want you to get to be able to do that, purchase that, support what we do, what we're trying to do. So anyway, this has been a it's been a, a interesting beginning to the Holy Week here. 
uh, we uh, here in the South, we had some storms and did some the tornadoes and you know. But that in in the South, we used to the storms. You kind of expect it around this time of year. We had those storms and and um, and then on Sunday you had Tiger Woods winning the Masters, and on Monday you had um, <clears throat> the the Cathedral uh, North. Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, uh, nearly destroyed, well, massively destroyed uh, by fire. So we're going to talk about the latter two, uh, Tiger Woods and uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral. And we're going to talk, talk about them from the perspective of them being allusions to something greater uh, than what they are. Uh, and, you know, are, are, they, are they a sign of the time? Is what I'm, I'm going to ask you. Are they a sign of time leading to something? And I'm not specifically talking about end time revelation or anything like that. But, you know, these are symbolic actions as I am perceiving them that are leading or, or, or pointing to something beyond themselves. That's that's what I'm getting at. Um, and when I'm talking of uh, Tiger Woods, man, I've always admired Tiger Woods. I've admired him. Largely because I didn't know too many black folk who played golf professionally. Uh, at, at, at my, you know, growing up in, growing up in, in in the hood, you didn't you didn't see that. You you just saw basketball, baseball. Well, maybe baseball. Our kids didn't play baseball that much, but saw basketball and definitely football. What you didn't see was soccer, golf, tennis, swimming. <laughs> you know, stuff hood guys didn't do. Uh, it's not that that was not offered. We had the facilities to do all of those things. It's just that it was, you know, it wasn't paying. It it, it didn't have a a a, a definite, definite income stream, you know, foreseeability. You, you know, parents couldn't see their kids making it big in tennis. They couldn't see their kids making it big in swimming. They couldn't see the kids making it big, out, you know, outside the track and field without being uh, in another sport like baseball, basketball, or football. So golf and and the other thing, you know, most of my my life I thought golf was an old man's game. <laughs> old men, old white rich men played golf. That's that's how it was, you know. And you, you didn't go to the golf. I I remember one time in high school I got the chance to go to one of the exclusive golf clubs. In my hometown, and it was just beautiful, you know. And I had never been in an environment like that, and, and it was—I felt, I felt a little bougie. Uh, but again, there were very few. Matter of fact, you can count on one hand the number of young black boys who were there, and because again, the event was—I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something for honor, you know, honor roll or academic or whatever. We were being recognized, and. Very few were there, and you know you saw the plethora of uh, white white kids there. Of course, white male. You know the idea was just this: this was a rich white man's game, and to see uh, to see a biracial man come and master the game. I mean, at his height, at the height of his career, you know he was taking down everything. He was chasing. Uh, uh, Nicholas, he was chasing, chasing uh, Palmer. He was chasing all these guys, their, their records. And, he, and, and, you know, he was going it. 
and he did it, you know, full of pride. And, and even though he he never claimed to be black per se, you know, he he was rec- he recognized that he had become a black icon, that he was black history in the making. You know, he understood that his father instilled in him that idea that you know, you know, your folk are gonna be looking at you, thinking highly of you, not just me. But the entirety of the black community is going to be embracing you if you are successful in this game. And he was successful in his game. He, I mean, he did it. And we all know what happened. We all know what happened. The fatal, I cannot talk, that fatal incident that, that led to what some saw as his downfall. You know, the fact that he he had to come out and admit that he had, had he was a a serial adulterer, and you know he he had to admit all of the issues that he had kept private. And uh, after that, folk were attacking him. You know, you can't represent us no more, as black folk. You know, you can't represent us no more. Uh, now I bet you, if he had been a preacher, <laughs> if he had been a preacher, they would have defended him to the core. Well, my pastor touched not my knowing it, do my prophets don't harm. He, you know, he is a man before he's a preacher. <laughs> I know that's just sad. I, I know that is just sad, but that's that's how <laughs> that's that's how it is. Unfortunately, for quite a few, that's how it is. But he, what he did do is he stayed. He didn't let the pressure get to him, and he performed badly. You know, that's just reality. He didn't perform at his uh, peak performance days. He didn't perform quite that way. He, you know, finishing low and sometimes not finishing at all, as I understand. Um, and, you know, the the sports media had a field day with watching him sink further and further uh, away from his iconic rise. So he was, you know, to them, they had already said he, he's maxed, he's reached his prime, and he's, that's it, you know, and, and his star has risen, and now his star is falling. And that was true. It it was. It was. It was. It, he was not performing at peak. He was experiencing health issues, emotional issues with the passing of his father and all kinds of other things that he may not have made public or, you know, we may not have been aware of. And in the midst of all of this, he never gave up the game. He kept going. He kept going. He kept going. Kept losing. Still got paychecks. Endorsements. Probably lost a lot of those. Well, he did lose a lot of. The, I'm not sure if he gained some back, but uh, he didn't stop playing, and he didn't quit because he was losing. And this Sunday, this past Sunday, he put all the haters to shame by having the biggest comeback in golf history. Not only did that. Did he make the biggest comeback in golf history? He is now, I, I might as well just go ahead and say, he is the GOAT in golf. He is the greatest of all time. Just shy of Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer with records, just shy of them. And if he goes another year, he will beat them. He 
has won his fifth green jacket at the Masters. Now, the only reason I ever watched the Masters, I I think I, I got started watching the Masters because when my grandfather, <laughs> and I'm just telling the truth, you know, on Saturdays when cartoons were going off, had gone off, wrestling had gone off, the only thing left to watch was golf. After you watch a National Geographic show, <laughs> you know, they had the golf tournaments on, and, you know, we just sit there and watch. I didn't really understand it. You know, just knew that people were playing and it's going in the hole. <laughs> but you watch it. I, I would watch it and I began to understand the game. And uh, in college, I learned to properly play the game, even though I don't play it right. But, you know, learn how to play. I remember in college when we had our first golf team uh, at the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff. And that, I'm, I'm digressing. But anyway, um, the comeback that he did was so amazing. And it's interesting that it happened on Palm Sunday. It's interesting that it happened uh, as we recognize Palm Sunday. It's interesting that it happened on the day that people observe the celebration of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem in anticipation of his death and passion. Um, it, it just it, it it was reassuring to see that this this young man. Well, I can't say young. We're we're in pretty much the same age. Uh, I think he's either a year older than me or a year young. That's, again, that's irrelevant. But to see that, that this man, who so many folk had counted out, come back. I mean, there was a sermon in that right there. That, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of preach, a lot of preachers probably gonna use him as their Easter sermon. <laughs> use him in an illustration. For his Easter, you know, for their Easter sermon, but he he really shocked a lot of people. He all he also brought hope to a lot of people. That I I, I think that is the biggest thing, the fact that he brought about this sense of inspiration that you can mess up horribly, terribly mess up, and you can always come back. I think that's the biggest thing, you know. There is no, that you know, you can have what we in, in the field of psychology call a dark night of the soul. To bring a, the spiritual aspect a component, you can have a dark night of the soul where everything is just hell. And I don't know who's calling me, but I ain't gonna answer that. Everything is hell, and you can come back. Come out of that. You can come out of that spot. It's gonna stop ringing eventually. Uh, let me <laughs> let me say this. Uh, my phone is on its last legs. The reality is, it's probably that tip. It hadn't been charging. I uh, I get a little juice. I, I've been getting a little juice to have a little bit of a conversation. But last night it was plugged in all night and never got past thirty five percent. And now it's like at 15. So it's, I'm going to have to say bye, bye, bye to my phone and, and get another one. But that's neither here nor there. Um, it, what he did, his comeback signifies that no matter, no matter the state of your being or your existence in this current moment or space of time, that you have a chance 
to come out and to come back. I, I mean, that's just amazing. That is that is the the law that or, or the principle that everyone should live by. There's always hope to do better. There's always hope hope to come back. There's always hope that where you are is not where you have to be the entirety of your existence. That where you are is uh, is just a temporal moment. And uh, Paul right, you know, we live in a temporal moment. In 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 uh, was it Second Corinthians chapter four? He he talks about this temporal moment, and, and uh, I I'm not even going to try to quote it, you know, but I you know he's like I I he lists the states of being where he was. Uh, and then he said, I've been perplexed, I've been there, but I've been not been destroyed, you know, all of that. Um, and, and in saying that, he says, while this body dies daily, we are still living because we are renewed daily by the, in our inner man through Christ. If you're a Christian, you're renewed daily in your inner man by faith through Christ. Uh, so this, our existence is not static. Our state is not static. It it should never be static. If we believe ourselves and our lives to be static, then we will forever be miserable. We will be of all people the most miserable if we believe our affairs and our states to be static, not able to be moved, no upward or downward mobility. And if you lived long enough, you would know that you will have moments that, that will take you to the highest heights and then moments that will take you to the lowest lows. We we see that during this week as we observe the passion of the Christ. We see him in moments of jolly uh, where he's with his, his disciples. We see him in moments of, of, of anger and high emotion as he's in the temple. And we see him we see him in, in moments of serenity as he's reclining on the couch in Lazarus's house and Mary and Martha are there and while while they are while he is reclining and the men are enjoying themselves, Martha is busy and she's doing all she's doing and Mary is trying to engage with the men even though she's not supposed to and Mary then takes this this oil that costs a lot of money, and she takes it. She anoints the feet of Jesus with it, and, and Judas is scared the one who had already bargained to betray him. <laughs> he, he, he said, we could have done more with this. and We could have fed the poor with this. And Jesus said, she's doing what she knows she's supposed to do. She's, uh, uh, she's helping me be prepared for what the, I'm going to experience. And the pool you're going to have with you always. You're always going to have somebody in the hood that you're going to have to look out for. <laughs> that is that is my um, my hood vernacular interpretation. <laughs> that's, that's the hood revived standard version of that scripture. But we will always be uh, alive uh, if we believe ourselves or we allow ourselves to be in static estates then we lose that sense of hope and we we ever live in that sense of dread and that dread brings about an oppression on us and no matter how much you go to church no matter how much you read your bible or pray that oppression will stay with you if you never believe that your your estate can be changed 
and that's one of the things about the faith that we pro- we promote, at least we should be promoting, is that it changes not only your relationship, it reconciles you back to God, but it should also change the state of your affairs, giving you a hope that Paul writes about. He says that we you know we have a house that is, you know, it's temporal, but when this house is torn down, when it is, stro- is destroyed, we have another house not made by man, you know, and, and, and that, that again, alludes to the idea of a non-static estate, uh, an ever-changing estate where, where we move from this temporal estate of despair and dysfunction that we live in to a state of enjoyment and, um, and, and, and eternity with the Lord. So it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing to know that we ain't got to be where we are all the time. And I always love hearing, reading and hearing of stories like that because it reminds us, it reminds us that every human being has the same opportunity if they recognize it and take advantage of it. They don't have to quit in the low moments of their life. They don't have to quit when they get, when you experience things that literally go against the successes that you once had, you don't have to quit. You just keep t- continue on, and you find different facets to express that that disgrace and that disgust. You don't have to allow that to facilitate how you go forward. You find different ways to express it, to articulate it, to let you get out it for it, but don't take that those setbacks, those failures, those disappointments, those things, those disgraces. Don't let them dictate who you are, not just in the present, but in the future, in the time to come. I I, I got it. I preached that then, didn't I? I preached that thing. Yeah, I sure did. I can't preach it Sunday, though, because I'll probably forget it. <laughs> but uh, Tiger Woods... Um, comeback is a great illusion, is is a wonderful illusion to the fact of the hope we have to come. We observe the passion of the Christ year after year. We observe the resurrection of the Christ year after year because it gives us something to look forward to beyond where we currently exist and experience. It is not it is not um sacrilegious to use Tiger Woods' comeback as an allusion to the expectation that you have or you desire to have or whatever it may be. It's not sacrilegious to do that. As a matter of fact, it is in your better interest to see it as such because that might just be the fire that you need. You know, just a story like that. Uh, to see a man who was very successful fall and keep falling and keep failing, but never giving up. And eventually, mastering the very thing that called that led to uh, his fall. I guess you could say I don't know. I, I, that probably was a bad analogy, analogy, but you know, you get what I'm saying. And speaking of burning, the other thing that happened this week was the burning of of the Notre Dame Cathedral, Paris. Now. Uh, you got to differentiate the Notre Dame in Paris from the Notre Dame in uh, Reims, France, where the kings were 
that's where they were typically uh, coronated. Uh, I think Napoleon was coronated at Notre Dame in Paris. I think that's where he was coronated as Emperor of France. Um, anyway, so this this 12th century church um, that everybody loves. You know, I, I didn't really know about Notre Dame until I read The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and then I put the two together, and I realized, you know, and the cart- the Disney cartoon, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I realized, oh, that's a, you know, that's a real place. Uh, I knew more about the Gothic cathedrals largely because being a music major um, and being a, 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 a fine arts teacher. I was even though I was a band director, I had to teach fine arts. And one of the things that we studied was uh, Gothic architecture. And Gothic architecture in in Europe was very unique at the time prior to the Renaissance. You know, it was dark, and you know we see goth revivalism here in the states and in the world where you know these kids were in the dark hair and you know and all of that. You were a goth kid. I don't think we had goth kids in my school. We were all black, so we didn't need to wear black. <laughs> that was a bad joke, but I'm glad I said it. But anyway, so the Gothic, the Gothic architectural style um, in Europe led to the the building of a lot of the great cathedrals that we see, and uh, in in Europe, like Westminster Abbey, uh, Saint. Paul, Saint, uh, yeah, Saint Paul, of course, Notre Dame, Chartres, uh, and many, many other cathedrals that we we see. And here in the states, we even modeled we uh, modeled those, uh, although they were largely Roman Catholic. And so you have uh, it, when you get into the states, you have the Roman Catholic being great, building these great ones. In um, hold on for a second. That was going to go on forever. Uh, you had the Roman cathedrals building, uh, Catholic church building great cathedrals in New York City and in Boston. And then the Episcopal church built uh, the, the Washington Cathedral, the National Cathedral of uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, they're all Gothic-styled um, buildings. And we have a lot of you know cathedrals in the states that are modeled after that. But what was interesting? What's interesting altogether about the design of uh, the cathedrals, um, those Gothic cathedrals, and, and is that they were they were built to tell the story of the Bible because a lot of the people were illiterate. Uh, so the architecture and the interior of these cathedrals told the Bible story. So even if you couldn't read and you didn't understand Latin, as the priest was giving, you know, the entire service was in Latin, and as the priests were giving these these homilies and the service were being sung and and you know you're seeing Kyrie, <laughs> you, you know, eleison, you're, you're saying all of this and you have no idea what it means. You could go into these great buildings and experience. What you didn't understand that was that was the first thing I mean the first the, the the biggest thing you walk up to this great building and you see the huge uh 
particular for Notre Dame, you, the first, you know, the entrance, you you saw these great towers in the bells, and you could hear the bells ringing and all of this, and and so it great it gave off this very awesome experience, you know. You, you hear all of that, and you you look up and it looks very high, you know, it's as as high as the sky, so it gives you a reverence for uh, the 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 death and height of God, you know, and the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and, and all of this. So it's all inspiring before you walk in. And once you get into it, you get into and you walk into the, the nave and then you realize, oh, it's spread like this. And, and so you walk into and here you have the body of Christ inside the cathedral where the altar is 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 all of it is symbolic you know you you had the head of Christ you know in the nave in the back area and you had the um altar representing the heart of Christ and then you had the um the the way it was set up um both left and right side represents the arms and hands of Christ as they were being cru- you know crucified during the passion and the feet of Christ it, it it was very you know, and I never got the the chance to to visit the cathedrals. Uh, well, I, I have visited the cathedrals here in America, and it, it's the same kind of uh, you get the same sense of awe when you go to these cathedrals. You get the same sense of awe. So, uh, I you know, after hearing and watching the news of, of the fire. Um, I, I was like, I was following just like everyone else. And, you know, the seat of destruction, the spire uh, is gone. I think the spire is a, the most recent uh, uh, re-addition because they, I think they had to put a new spire up in the 19th century, if I understand it correctly. They put a new spire up, um, replacing the old spire that had gotten damaged because of the French Revolution. Um, when they, when it they uh, those who were imperialists, empiricists, they took up a part of the Enlightenment. They they took over uh, the the cathedral in Notre Dame and and they re they they uh, reclaimed it uh, as 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 the house of, of reason. I think that's that's what they call it. I'm not exactly sure, but anyway, you know they they dis they they, they secularized it. And they and they made it for for secular worship and <laughs> well not worship but reason. They made it a cathedral to reason and not to Christ and not to religion. And, and you know of course it was reclaimed by the Roman Catholic Church and it's still an icon today. But anyway, um, you go. It, it was designed to help you experience and understand. The biblical story, even if you couldn't read, you could engage it because everything about the building, including the flying, the flying buttresses, and not as I understand it, this was the first cathedral. This was the first thing, period, to to include flying buttresses. Now, what I did, I always liked when it, when I was and then when I was teaching about this to my students, I always like to say, you see the gargoyles, they have a purpose too. The gargoyles. That's when it rained, the water would come out of it. <laughs> That's about the only thing I really knew about the cathedral, uh, Notre Dame in particular. It, it, those those gargoyles, 
they they did really the it that's what it was for. It was like the gutter. <laughs> so when it would rain on the cathedral, the gargoyles had a had a physical purpose of, of letting the water go on out to the ground. That's about as as much as I knew. But I made sure that I knew it, and the students did. <laughs> well, I made sure that I acted like I was an authority on the architecture. <laughs> Y'all get what I'm saying. But so all of it, all of the design, the entirety of the design, including uh, the the famous uh, rose rose glass stained windows that adorn the the left and right uh, and the back of of the church. All of that, all of those serve purposes, and um, it, it, it again it, it drew it drew the the worshiper into engaging the divine, even though they didn't understand the biblical story altogether. You know, they couldn't read it. They could engage. They could engage it through experience, and we we captured a lot of that. In American and Western Christianity, uh, as we began to reconstruct or, or deconstruct, rather deconstruct high church worship, and with the advent advent of the uh, Methodist movement in the church uh, here in the states, and the uh, first and second Great Awakenings in the 1700s, and uh, well, you know, there, you know, there were more than one great awakening, but the first and second great awakenings here in the United States, where you had the preachers uh, like uh, Whitfield, um, who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, uh, who is the one that says, uh, Sinners in the Hands of Angry God? Uh, gosh, everybody who's, you should know these guys. I, they're getting off my head right now. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, so you know you had you had these guys and they the the message they pre- presented was uh, not it was not stripped but it took away it deconstructed the high worship service uh, that was uh, pretty familiar in Western European tradition you know uh, Christian tradition where the priests or the the liturgist, the chief liturgist, the homilist, you know, they were higher and, and you know, they didn't really observe the priesthood of all believers. And now, you know, that deconstruction allowed for a, a different approach to how we worship. And that approach to how we worship led to the approach of how we build where we worship. And that deconstruction Develop further to the point where now, as we go into worship uh, places, churches, as you we usually call them, we don't, uh, we do not connect the divine with the construction, and there's no, you know, we don't have the symbolism as the cathedrals had. You know, they were rich in symbolism because they needed the the worshiper to come for the experience. Because they couldn't understand what was being said, the only thing they could have was the experience. And while we have maintained the idea of coming for the experience, we have disconnected the experience with the symbolism connecting the experience. So now, now we have a bunch of big mega churches 
and wonderful buildings with beautiful stages, wonderful sound and all of that stuff and comfortable seating. But there's a disconnect from the experience and the symbolism that should connect to the divine. And the fire, it, it, uh, uh, the fire for me is an illusion to that deconstruction and that that uh, disconnect. Uh, the fire symbolizes to me, and this is just to me. It, it, it symbolizes a, a a a the way that we are have been disengaging both the divine and the ways of connecting with the divine. And we're seeing that across the church. As more people leave the church and try to call, you know, try to have a richer, mean, more meaningful spiritual experiencing experience outside of the constraints of institutional church, we we're seeing why they're doing that because there's nothing to connect to when they get into the worship experience, you know, uh, because everybody's the same. There's nothing to lead to something greater. And the way the worship, the liturgy was designed and adapted, even even in the modern day Protestant churches, was to lead up to the preaching, which was to lead up to connecting with the divine. And in modern day, particularly contemporary Protestant American churches, there's that's all but gone. Fads take preeminence. You know, the more we can do to make people feel good while they're here is what we'll do without helping them to understand that they're here not for the experience alone, but they are here to connect with what the experience, where the, who the experience comes from. So there are a lot of people who in, in our churches, both Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal, mainline, or whatever, however you want to define it, uh, there are a lot of people who go through the motions of worship and praise and yet still do not connect with the object of the praise object of the worship and anything like that and that's a great problem uh for those of us who call ourselves pastors that's a great problem because if we are just simply allowing people to have an experience where they can get the same experience outside of the church you can go to a jazz concert and get the same type of ethereal experience that you have in a slow moment of worship You, if you need an adrenaline rush, if you got a shout, well, you can get that same type of experience outside of a worship experience. So why would people want to come to church? The the the, the illusion that I get from this burning, and um, uh, is that there's the deconstruction of both religious experience and religious, not autonomy, I'm not going to say, uh, not use autonomy, but religious experience and religious symbolism is very prominent now. That um, once we have that disconnect, as long as that disconnect continues, we will never really have an authentic worship experience. We know the cross is a symbol. The Bible is a symbol. The church collective is a symbol. All of it is symbolism. And all of it is intended to connect us with God through Jesus Christ. 
if we are Christian believers. That's what it's all intended to, to help us remember that we have been reconciled to God through the act of obedience of Jesus the Christ by his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that his act, who Jesus, who was God, made himself of no reputation, but put on the cloak of humanity and came and dwelt among us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, and he died. He who was an innocent man hung with two thieves on the cross. One ridiculed him and said, you you saved other folk. Why can't you save yourself? And another one said, he don't deserve to die. We deserve what we're getting. And what is he getting? Nothing but the same penalty. And he says, remember me when you get your place. In, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. So the symbolism is what we have to connect with. Because once you engage the symbolism with the experience and you connect those two, you have a greater sense of awe and wonder of the wonderful workings of God the Father. We miss that. Every church service shouldn't be about shouting. I watched a video the other day and and I was ready to shout, but then I got a problem because the, the person who was facilitating the shout, the, the praise break, said, grab your partner. Get your partner. If your partner ain't shouting with you, you need to let your partner go. And I, was like, I thought for a moment, I said, wait a minute. Praise is an individual experience, not a team experience. It's a subjective experience. You're not shouting for the same reason I'm shouting. We may be experiencing the same thing at the moment. But we're articulating something different in their experience. So we're shouting not for the same reason, but we're shouting to the same and praising to the same God. But anyway, I digress. We we have to move. We have to transcend beyond the temporal experiences that we have both in our, our life as individual humans and and as our in our life as believers in Christ and. The troubling thing is, I believe a lot of folk won't have the courage to do so. I believe a lot of preachers won't have the courage to encourage people to do so. You know, we'd rather keep them oppressed in their static being. Uh, and and that, that shouldn't fly with us. We shouldn't feel comfortable keeping people in oppression. And keeping people in, in temporal states of static affairs, we shouldn't be mad if they come up and they say, "Well, look, my my religious expression has transcended my need to come to a physical church week after week." And, and you know, I'm I'm not advocating that you know you just stop going to church and be spiritual. I'm just saying sometimes you know you get to that point where I don't need you know. This and I know the Bible says forsake not yourself, the assembling of yourselves together, but in the context of that, you gotta read the whole chapter to get the context of that. But that's a whole different thing. But you know, we should be mad. Now I'm not talking about people who church hop either, because there are a lot of folks who church hop. They just they get mad at the preacher or they get mad at the the way the church functions or they get mad at someone some individual in the church and just just leave. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a person who's an authentic self 
can no longer be fully uh, authentic spiritual self. Let me preface that. Authentic spiritual self can no longer be fully expressed or experienced within the constraints of institutional religious church worship. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it may sound like I'm, I don't want folks to come to my church. No, I, I want folks to come to my church, but I want you to come to my church because you understand the need for you to connect with the divine and for you to connect with others like you. And then they sound dichotomous, you know. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it ain't, <laughs> you know. But I, 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 I want to close out on this thought here. The entirety of our existence should be forward moving, should be progressive. We should be progressing towards something greater than ourselves. And with Tiger Woods' comeback, that should be an example for us. As I recapitulate all that I've been talking about, that should be an example for us to see that there is no bottom too low that we can't come up from. If we continue, we may not be at the same pace we once were. We may not be at the same skill level we once were as we're coming back up. But if we continue at it, we'll get back there. And we get the greater skill. You know, our skill set will get back to where it was and even greater. And as we see, you know, things happen. Cathedrals will burn. Sacred things that are precious to us, uh, that represent uh, something greater than us, will be, uh, can be destroyed. It can be destroyed. But as one hymn writer said, our hope should be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock, I stand. All the other grounds should be sinking sand. Listen, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it so much. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, follow us for all updates. Also, you can see how to support me in the description. Uh, uh, I am on Patreon, so you can support me on Patreon as low as a dollar a month. You can go there and support. Also, you can see the links on YouTube for PayPal me information if you'd like to uh, support me directly. Again, want to encourage you to get a copy of my book, um, my latest book, Reflection from the Pastor's Study, that's available on Amazon as an Amazon Kindle book, uh, as well as a paperback uh, in Amazon Kindle for $5.99, paperback for $15. I want to encourage you to go there. And also, for limited time only, um, you'll be able to get both books, so Breaching the Family and um, Reflections for $25. Uh, inbox me about that, and I'll make sure that you get the information on how to do that. Uh, thank you so much. I got to get out of here. I appreciate all of you tuning in. And until next time, you guys have a wonderful day. You be blessed. God bless you.